Welcome to episode 49 of the Contra Fabulist podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we're recording this in sort of a different setup today in a different location after a couple of, a little bit of technical difficulty trying to um, get this going. And I'm exhausted. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel pretty good. We took the train today down from Edinburgh. We're back in London. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in the UK. We made it actually. The last time it was like the, you know, it was like tune in next week to see if Ken and Audrey made it across the border without, um, with their data intact. Yes. And, uh, no one harassed us coming into the UK and except for we got here and the country started falling apart. And leaving the EU as soon as we got here. <laughs> well, I think that started this past summer. Oh, but okay, okay, yeah. okay. I just felt like something. We triggered something when we crossed the border. We triggered Article Fifty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Um, yeah. So we've been here a week. Yeah, now? a week. We've been here a week. Um, and this, I guess, starting tomorrow, we kind of you and I part ways. We'll see each other, I guess, briefly. I'm heading up to Coventry tomorrow. I'm a visiting fellow at Coventry University, and you're here. Um, for part of the week, I'm heading up to Oxford on Tuesday to talk to the Oxford Dictionary folks about their APIs, but um, most of the week is just a pleasure for me. I'm hanging out with my daughter in London, but you are working most of the week, and you were also working in, up in Edinburgh. What did you do? Well, um, I gave a talk. Uh, I saw some friends. I gave a talk, uh, but I think before we before we go on to that topic, maybe I should um, actually. I kind of boasted about it all week. I oh, haven't actually. Yeah. I haven't you, actually you totally been able. I haven't actually been able to shut up about my news all week. It's funny because you know one of the great things about traveling is that I mean, for one thing, we're just not tethered to our machines because we're we're doing we're you know we're doing things, but we don't have data on our phones. And also we deleted, you know, we made an effort to delete all of the social media apps and stuff. So even if we did have data, like our phones are no longer like the dis sort of whatever, quote unquote, distraction devices. Um, so I'm sort of haven't been fully tuned in, which is nice when Trump is president, right? I'm not tuned into that, but it did surface enough to say, hey, guess what, everybody? I'm a Spencer education journalism fellow. Really? I am. I had not heard this news. <laughs> I will be. <laughs> she just, she's been saying it like every couple hours prior, between you and I, or her and I, um, since she couldn't say it online. So, uh, yeah, now she can talk about it publicly because the press release is out. So, by the way, so congratulations. You, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm stunned uh, when I got the phone call. Well, when I got the phone call, I actually didn't answer the phone because you don't answer the phone. <laughs> who 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 calls these days um but when I heard the news and even still I'm sort of reeling with excitement um and so what, I what are you going to be doing so I the the fellowship starts it runs from January or excuse me from September to May um we're you know you're highly encouraged to be in New York and we probably will um, relocate for some or part of that to um, to New York. 
I my proposal was to sort of expand some of the work that I've already been doing, which is tracking who's funding edtech startups. I'm really interested in the sort of social networks and political networks and sort of in some ways sort of the shared imagination about the future among investors. And initially it was really about the sort of Silicon Valley uh, investors and entrepreneurs. That's been the focus of a lot of my work. But, you know, with Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Education, it sort of has made me think about the ways in which um, we also have to pay attention to hedge funds and private equity. Um, because, of course, Silicon Valley investors love to brag about what they're investing. And, I mean, that's part of the whole sort of theater of Silicon Valley is um, startups brag about the money they've raised, investors brag about the startups that they've funded, um, but there are these other, I don't older, I suppose, um, investment um, funds and vehicles that are less... Um, even even less transparent, and Silicon Valley is not very transparent, but even less transparent about what they're funding. And in some ways, they're funding a lot of the same things in education. They're funding charter schools. They're funding, you know, private student loan startups. They're funding, um, Betsy DeVos is an, uh, has been an investor in a number of things, including, you know, um, wearables that do um, electroshock treatment to get people to quote-unquote focus so behavioral um, behavioral hardware so I really want to map out how these folks know each other and how how the networks of these companies get built get established and built and spread um, partially because you know I see a lot of entrepreneurs in education who have Ideas that perhaps have a compelling story, but don't have don't have that sort of any product to show. But when you dig really deep, you find that they are just well connected people, right? So Jose Ferreira from Newton is a great example of this. He's just an incredibly well connected person, right? He's John Kerry's nephew. That that gets you in a lot of doors. And so I'm interested in, in thinking about ways in which, or I'm interested in investigating the ways in which some of these people are really, it's, this is about, this isn't simply about investing in people, but it is invest, about investing in people with a particular set of ideas who are envisioning a particular future for education. And I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to help, helping support you in this work because, you know, some of the the database backend, or not not database, but you do you do this right now on spreadsheets and and slash GitHub, I would say, and I'm looking to actually kind of build on that same work because I think those are two really good tools for doing this, but but help you kind of scale it so that you can connect more dots, um, add in beyond just the organizations and the and the individuals. You're 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 widening that sphere. But I'm I'm hoping we can add in some of the, the the more topical aspects of this. You know, when people are, you know, focusing on specific aspects like, you know, um, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Help me. What are some of the topical areas that you want to like? Um... So I mean, for me, a topical area is personalization. Is that the kind of thing you're yeah, thinking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Is like, you know, personalization. Um, 
what what these people are selling you know when they're coming whether it's analytics whether it's it's um you know the data driven the the device based you know putting ipads in front of classrooms all these different areas that they're investing in and saying this is going to be a next thing you know ai machine learning all these things and actually connect the people because i don't think people are you know the average teacher the average school district person can barely understand well what is newton you know they're being bombarded with hey here our our analytics is 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 doing this for you or another company is doing you know this lms for you and they don't connect the dots of the people and the money behind it let alone the other ideology of what what these companies are investing in that that these people you know i mean like uh you know the the paypal mafia and peter thiel i mean I, I think he's the best example of this that people don't understand what these people are doing they're in the surveillance business as well as doing surveillance in schools and so helping connect those dots for people i think is and helping you uh augment that with meaningful visualizations and and other storytelling tools i think is going to be valuable and interesting um just to clarify though you don't actually have to understand newton because it can literally read your mind yeah you don't you just you just got to be you just got to exist and they'll do the rest right they it can literally literally read your mind wow I know. Amazing. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the plan for New York for me. Um, I'm excited. I've never, I'm excited cause it's a fellowship with the J school. Um, I don't have any sort of formal journalism training other than the high school newspaper work, um, that I did. So I'm excited to take, um, I'm excited to sort of, to, to be able to be around journalists. I'm a little intimidated. Some of the other recipients are Pulitzer Prize winners, and I I run Hack Education. But, um, but yeah, it's it's exciting. It'll, I think it'll be um, another pretty important step up for you and what you're doing, and, I mean, for us, because we do this together. So, so it's cool stuff. Yeah, good that's good. And then what do you want to talk about next? Uh, we can talk about what I talked about in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, I thought you related. did. I mean, I didn't actually hear your talk, but um, <laughs> like most of your talks, I pretty much know it pretty intimately because we talk through. Because I blab about it all the time. Yeah, well, and we talk through all the ideas as as they're coming in and forming, and then I um, most of the time read them after you post them. Not always, but not this time because it's been busy. We've been busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I gave a talk. You know, it's funny. I was. Um, when I, when I said I would do this talk, I gave a, you know, you have to give, you, you, you're experiencing this because you had to give a title for a talk you're giving next week. And you do that sometimes so far in advance, or even if you do it a little bit in advance, when it actually comes time to like prepare the words that you're going to say, you're like, oh, what, what was I thinking? Or sometimes the world moves on. Right. Right. So initially I said I was going to talk about automation, um, the history of automation in education. And it is something I've been thinking a lot about because I've seen a resurgence this year in claims being made about AI. Right. We've, we've, we've touched on that a lot in this podcast, right, that, that we're seeing again, you know, artificial intelligence seems to come and go in waves, not the, not the technological advances, but the claims that people make. 
and it peaked for a while and died off for a while, but it's really back, I think, full bore with claims about AI in general, um, claims about robots coming for jobs, and claims about the ways in which this is going to utterly transform education. Um, so I was going to give a talk about automation, which is which ties to a lot of my research about teaching machines. But my fr I was working my talk, and my friend Karen Gregory, who was thrilled to get to see in Edinburgh, saw her. She mentioned on Twitter, I think she was at a conference, that she quoted someone as saying the future would be a, quote, driverless university. And it absolutely crystallized with a lot of the stuff, again, we've talked about it so much in this podcast, with the claims that Uber is making about the future of um, employment, I would say, and the claims that Uber is making about the future of the driverless car. But also, I thought it was very uh, uh, relevant this week, because didn't Betsy DeVos say this week that... What'd she say about... Uh... Right, which I never could have predicted. Um, she said that school choice is like Uber or Lyft, that you should be free. I, I you know, you should be free, that, that the markets, markets step in and that schools are over-regulated. Um, uh, people should have quote-unquote choice. And this is a very... Um, Travis Kalanick like argument as well, right? That the taxi industry is overregulated, and so taxis can't respond to people's needs, and you need to create this other market-driven choice that subverts and disrupts, subverts the regulation and disrupts the market by offering unlicensed, um, uh, by uh, you know, non-unionized contingent part-time, precarious, quote-unquote, independent contractors to drive people around instead of, quote-unquote, the professionals who, who typically do that. So the fact that Betsy DeVos said that was both perfect and terrifying and also proved my point that when I talk about the, the future of a driverless school, that this, again, is not just Audrey being hysterical, right? This is like Audrey saying, wake up. This is, this is absolutely the sort of neoliberal, libertarian fantasy that is shared by both what I call you know, the Silicon Valley narrative, but also very much shared by the Trump administration. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's just one of, I mean, it's sad to see it applied to, to education. I mean, what it's doing to transportation is, is is pretty sad because you think of that in action like people uh with disabilities uh you know people you know elderly people trying to get a ride to where they need to their their local food program meals program um you know they have they can't always afford uber people who are poor can't afford uber so you know applying that same line of thought to education i mean think about all the people are going that are going to be left behind, I mean, pun intended. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's like we build public systems, right? Transportation is a public system. Schools are, in part, a public system. And, yeah, you don't get to choose where the bus stops, right? You don't get to choose where the school is. 
but that's like not even the right way in which to look at the a public system isn't built to meet your individual consumer based individualistic right now sort of needs right that's why building out infrastructure that benefits the public good is um is a very different way of seeing the world than than not building any public infrastructure and sort of putting the risk uh, all on the individual both as you know the precarious worker for the quote unquote gig economy but also the precarious consumer i suppose standing on the side of the road wanting a ride or the precarious student hoping that this sort of choice based consumer based voucher based app based automated driverless system is actually going to be any goddamn good well i mean when you you're familiar with startup world i mean these systems i mean i'm this is the layer i operate at is the api layer i mean this is these companies trying to maximize and be as efficient as they possibly can um, in accomplishing whatever they're doing. In the Uber case, it's transportation. In the education, it's it's learning, which are vastly different worlds. But okay. And if we're we're they're trying to maximize this, and we're seeing Uber drivers, you know, taking uh, uh, taking carrying the load when it comes to their car. It's their own car. Right. The they, risk, they have to yeah. fix their car. They have to maintain their car. Buy gas. And buy gas and, and, and carry the load. So, okay, that's going to be the teacher. The teacher is going to have to take responsibility for all aspects of of the classroom. Oh, wait. No, they're already having to do a lot of that by pencils. They're already in that boat. So they're going to further optimize and squeeze the teacher at this level. And then we're talking about, okay, the, the writer in the Uber case and the student in the classroom place or case, they're going to have to, um, you know, play along in this system and be just a number and be, be tracked on, you know, surveilled so that they can personalize and deliver exactly what's needed. But then you have surge pricing when, when there's too much of a demand and who's going to get left behind in that scenario? I mean, we know who's going to be left behind. It's going to be people of color, disability, people with disabilities. It's going to be women. Right. That's why market. That's why markets are not markets are not a remotely the right way to model thinking about meeting these kinds of societal needs. Right. And education is certainly precisely that thing. Right. So this the surge pricing kind of applied to education is, you know, I mean, we could, I mean, it's not too difficult to see in the ways in which that happens. We've seen, um, I mean, some, some universities have even talked about making popular classes more expensive or making graduation requirement classes more expensive or making certain majors more expensive. And these are the things that price out price out populations, right? And it's, you know, you can sort of say, well, you made the choice, but... It's freedom. It's freedom. But then there are times in which sort of it's very clear how flawed that model is, and that's in the cases of, you know, when when Uber has instituted surge pricing during, like, natural disasters, right, and weather-related catastrophes. And it's like, well, you know... Or labor 
strikes well, right. going on at, right. at JFK. Well, and that was, you know, the focus of my talk in um, Edinburgh was a little bit taught, was trying to mostly think about this in terms of labor because, uh, you know, I mean, I had a lot of ideas in the talk, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm really tired of the robots are coming for our jobs way of phrasing because the robots aren't coming for us. Business owners opt to automate jobs and replace workers. Robots don't do that, right? Robots aren't, robots don't fill out job applications. Robots don't apply for jobs. Robots don't, don't have any agency or autonomy or willpower or desire. Owners of businesses are the ones who are opting to displace workers, right? And so the precarity that we're experiencing, the employment precarity that we're experiencing, people can say, well, it's, it's a result of automation, but it, it's as actually a result of a number of choices that business owners have made. And it's, it's, the implications have to do much more with capitalism and the, the sort of the way in which capitalism operates than it is any sort of inevitability about the prowess or capacity of our artificial intelligence systems. Well, what scares me the most, and I think I mentioned this last week too, is, is that the technologists are blindly marching forward and often with a very uh, youthful libertarian bent that is just willfully ignorant of history and actively you know, willing to disrupt labor, willing to disrupt regulatory, um, you know, uh, or regulations that are in place already, that they're all bad, they're all evil, not acknowledging anything about how, you know, if we're talking about transportation, how we got here and why there's regulations. So taxis don't leave you in the middle of nowhere, don't rob you, rape you, um, take so all you your can money, get a ride if, you, your if you're luggage, in a wheelchair. All these things, you know when someone does drive off with your luggage, there's a number on the window, there's a cab brand that you can call, there's accountability, there's reasons we have regulations in place. And there's zero discussion of, of how this all plays out. And, 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 and the technologists are just willing to build all this out. And... and even at their own peril, you know, not, you know, what percentage of the technologists are going to be along for this ride and be at the top rungs of this and be the beneficiaries? They're just hoping the majority of them are going to be left behind and they're going to end up being 50 or 60 and not have a job and be like that old guy taking us to the airport um, in Uber. He was his, his, he was Moses was his, actually his name. And he was like 70, almost 80 driving an Uber to, to I don't, you know, I, I'm speculating that he was using it to make ends meet. But, you know, why are technologists doing this and actively supporting, you know, um, Uber being anti-regulatory uh, and bringing this back to the education? Like when, okay, say we privatize all of education and it all becomes like Uber, like these people want right now. How do we, how do we actually make sure that, Schools are delivering, which is the number one gripe and bitch that, well, that a lot of these people have. Well, they would say markets. That markets are going to work it out. So how do you, 
how do you investigate and actually understand that, that a school is underperforming when the software can give you an entirely different experience like we've seen with Uber and you're a parent and you're like gaslighted all along the way and made to convince that, hey, everything's all right or everyone else think that you're crazy and you're just one of these hysterical parents well, then, who have a problem with data and algorithms and all these things that they don't understand. Well, no, this is, I mean, but this is precisely the thing. The, the, the risk gets just like the risk is on the part of the driver, the Uber driver, to assume the risk about insurance and keeping the car running and the new tires and gasoline in the tank and, you know, oil. Um, the, the risk then is the risk of parents, right? Did you, did you, are you, it's up to you to be able to sort of, it's because it, choice, is, choice is such a simplification, right? Like, but if you didn't, you didn't make the right, the right things in your life did not occur that you can make the choice, right? You have to, you have to be able to relocate from a house that, um, from a certain neighborhood to another. And if you didn't do that, that's your fault. Like that's the, you know, there, there is no driving force for equity that when, when markets are working it out. Because if you parent live in a poor neighborhood, that's your fault. Well, and this is, I mean, this is just one of, I mean, I don't buy into all the, the bullshit, oh man, that markets are going to work things out. But, uh, you know, we, we saw this play out this last week where Jared Kushner, uh, the son-in-law of the president, said he's coming in, you know, this is like 2.0 of all the tech stuff we've seen um, move into government saying that, that they're going to run government more like a business and completely unaware of the fact that, and he said, the citizens are the customers and we're going to run government like business. But Obama said this too. But yes, and I agree. And I was part of that wave. I'm like, you know, I'm not exempt from all the blame on this. I've been a, an active participant in bringing technology to the federal government in this way. And it's dangerous because... This is not the way that we deliver public services. The, 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 the people working in government, those of us who have been in government, are the customers of the people. They are our bosses. Customer isn't even the right word. It isn't even the right word. But if we're going to use this analogy, you know, that's a, a more apt uh, a part of this, you know, or, or, or way to, to, to reference this. But it's just like people, you know, this blind belief that market's going to work it out. And when you accompany that with this blind belief in algorithms and technology, being able to deliver this. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm a technologist, so I'm very pro, you know, using technology when it's sensible. But it's just that blindness in that, that accompanied with that blind belief in technologies that's just going to lead us, continue to lead us astray. It's scary. So I think that, I mean, I think that the solutionism, right, a blind belief in technology that technology will solve everything. This is, you know, you have Jenny Morozov's argument about solutionism, that no matter what the problem is, that the answer is some sort of software, some sort of app, some sort of statistical, some sort of data collection. Like, I think the solutionism is only part of it. 
Like, I really do think that the, when you talk about running government like a business, the way you're talking about is neoliberalism, right? You're not actually talking, like, this, the technology piece, the solutionism piece is, the technology is sort of the lever through which neoliberalism now operates, right? But the, the, the impulse is actually privatization, um, you know, and that, that, that neoliberal libertarian impulse that is both a Silicon Valley thing and then much broader, right? It's, I mean, the neoliberal, the sort of neoliberal impulse is, it predates the sort of rise of these, you know, new tech startups. But they're very interested in the dissolution of the public space in order to be able to create, despite, and again, despite paying lip service to free markets, right? And we saw, we actually walked by an Adam Smith um, hmm. statue when we were in Edinburgh, and our friend Ben Wordmuller says that it's actually new. Um, it was paid for by an American entrepreneur, he thought, which is perfect. Yeah, I think that's Perfect. Amazing. But anyways, like, so th despite paying lip service to markets will work itself out, many of these many of these entities, company entities, are actually really interested in building monopolies, right? So they aren't interested in, quote, unquote, a free flow of labor and capital unfettered by any government regulation. They actually want to pull all of the toys into their corner and then make it so that it's impossible for anyone to actually compete with them. That's what Google does. That's what Facebook does. Right? They're, they're interested in creating monopolies, but the kind of companies that are being built on data have not just a monopoly in services, right, but they have a monopoly on data, right, because of the amount of data that Amazon has, that Google has, that Facebook has, it makes it very difficult for a startup to come and compete on the quote-unquote open and free and unfettered market. It's impossible because as a startup, you just don't have the gajillion, billion, trillion, quazillion bytes of data that Google does, <laughs> right? And so when you think about this impulse in terms of the, the government, when they say that, the, you know, that they want to run the government like a business, they don't actually mean they want to run the government like a business. They want to sell it for scrap metal. Right? They don't actually want to run the government more efficiently, that's not their goal. The goal is not to make is not the goal is not to find places in which taxpayer dollars are used unwisely. The goal the goal is to dismantle things and funnel the money into their cronies, right? Into this kind of crony capitalism kleptocracy that seems to be really the the you know, so Trump is Trump is sort of neoliberalism, but it's sort of neoliberalism in the sort of stealing money from us in the sort of kleptocratic, really profoundly apparent kleptocratic way. And technology and technology companies are really happy to go along with that because I think that they see the future in being able to monetize the things that were once part of a public infrastructure, whether that's school, whether that's infrastructure, whether that's public knowledge, whether that's healthcare, technology companies feel particularly well poised to be the new monopolies of the 21st century. And I think that that's, you know, the, the regulations and stuff that stand in the way of them doing so, part of that is almost like 
you know, that's like the, the distraction, which is really that they want to be able to take what is a public, public good and turn it into a product that they have, not just that they can sell, but that they control all of the angles from, right? So this is, this is the movement from a government of the people, for the people, by the people, to a platform. And that's what they, like, that's the goal. And, and like you said, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this isn't anything new. This has been playing out for a while. And, you know, Obama and, and the Clintons um, have been on this similar track for a while and bringing technology, willfully bringing technology into the government. But I'd like to also shift this to, you know, one of the most damaging monopolies right now that I feel is is playing out and it's been playing out for a while is 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 our internet connections themselves I and mean, the infrastructure seen, we've yeah. seen consolidation you remember the the nine or the late 90s and the early 2000s how many different isps there were and that consolidation that has happened over the last decade where we just have a handful now of the comcast and the time warners and then we have our mobile devices which is the at&t and the verizon and the sprint we, you can count them all on basically one hand. And last week, you know, we saw this these for, these market forces um, get their way in actually dismantling, um, you know, our privacy laws when it comes to uh, what you can do, what they can do with your internet connection and selling your internet data. And I just don't think, I mean, they're just so greedy, so greedy in what they're doing that they're they're not they just don't see what this is going to do to us as a nation how 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 damaging this is going to be i mean forget you know the 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 scare tactics of oh hey they're going to know what we're surfing for and all this that's scary shit excuse me god but uh i'm um, perfect so far i know you've been doing great for a couple weeks i'm the bad one but this is a um you know, this is really damaging to us as our, our competitive power as a country to be able to actually, I mean, and this is just one area. I mean, if we wanted to switch to energy real quick, you know, we're weakening ourselves in a, in, a, in, in the worst possible way when it comes to clean energy and, and dealing with climate change. So it's just many fronts where 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 the market forces are at play, the the people who wanting the monopolies are getting their way, and and the technologists just seem really really they're either totally on board with this because hey we're building platforms, or they're kind of like not really sure, but like are we against this? But hey, they're gonna fall in line because that's what you do when you're a when you're a startup venture capitalist. Yeah. It's grim. It feels it feels strange to me to come to another country and I mean, like I said earlier, to not be really um, experiencing quote unquote, unquote the real time blast of what's happening in the U.S. Um, uh, because we're here, it's very strange to be in the U.K. Um, and witness. Um, and for me in particular, with um, you know. Um, my mom's British and I have a British passport and I've always sort of, I haven't ever thought of myself as British, but I've also never quite fully thought of myself as fully American either. So like just the profound grief of what this country is doing 
including maybe picking a fight with Spain, war with Spain. Um, but, but also thinking about, you know, how do, you know, what are we seeing happen in both of the countries that we can warn each other about, right? So in the U.S., we can come, like, is, you know, we can come here to the U.K. and say, you know, this is the plan, like, that we see unfolding based on what we know, what we study of the Silicon Valley tech industry. But here in the UK, I can also say, look around at all of these CCTV cameras um, and come back to the US and say, this is the plan. The plan is this 24-7 total surveillance. And it's on the street, in the public, in the public sphere, on the train, every bar you go into, every restaurant, every shop, every street corner, um, you know, there are cameras and, you know, kinds of expectations of privacy that people have for browsing things in the UK has already been severely limited, despite, I think, the efforts of the EU to be much better about um, privacy. Um, and so I think that there's a lot to learn um, from each other. But I think, you know, really right now, both of our country, both of these countries seem a bit mad. And they, I feel like they've, we've forgotten our history on so many levels, but most importantly, World War II and everything that, that, that you know, people sacrifice as part of World War II. And I feel like I want to go to Germany and operate out of Germany right now when it comes to data, privacy, security, and technology, because they seem to be the closest to remembering where this can all lead to and how how bad this can all play out pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I think we need to uh, heed the lessons of what's going on right now, really think about it deeply. So we will, I will still be in the UK next Sunday, but you will be back in Los Angeles. Yeah. So. We'll see how that works out. We'll see how that works out. Maybe even better than this particular microphone sharing situation. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll make it work. We always do. Till next week. All right.